You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello, and welcome to the April edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. My name is Shane. I'll be your host today, and we're going to talk about the subject breaking through barriers. But before we get to that, I just want to mention a couple of things that are coming up at New Spring Church in 2011 that you want to make sure you do not miss. The first is the New Spring Leadership Conference. That'll be on September the 8th of this year. Uh, Perry, why don't you say hello to everybody and tell, tell them why they should be at NLC 2011. Hello, everybody. You should be at NLC 2011 because it's going to be freaking awesome. Perfect. That's why. I mean, seriously, um, speakers for the day include um, Mark Driscoll, Craig Rochelle, Stephen Furtick, um, Judah Smith, Andy Stanley, Judd Wilhite, and Barack Obama. Okay, I was joking about Barack Obama, but everybody else is legit, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's going to be an amazing day. Did you mention yourself? Oh, well, yeah, I'm speaking too, okay. because, but it's, anyway, yeah, I'm letting myself speak. <laughs> One other thing you're going to be doing uh, for leaders uh, this fall, actually from November the 14th to the 16th, is a, a new thing that, that we're calling a leadership intensive. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners about that. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be like two and a half days of just leadership teaching, uh, and it's going to be for senior pastors and for non senior pastors. I do a coaching network um, every spring and every fall, but this fall we're not going to do a coaching network. We're going to do this leadership ten- intensive instead, and it's basically um, a lot of my coaching network crammed into two and a half days, and so it is going to be. Um, intense, thus the name for the intensive. There you go. And that uh, is filling up quick. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to start weeding out applicants uh, very soon. Uh, go to unleash.cc. Again, that's www.unleash.cc to register for either the New Spring Leadership Conference or the Leadership Intensive this fall. Well, with that, let's transition into our topic for today. And this Woo-hoo. topic uh, or this question came from uh some of our listeners, we had several people ask the question, what needs to happen to break the barriers or sustain a barrier that's been broken, such as what does the senior leader need to do to go from 1,000 to 2,000 people in attendance? Or if a church breaks that barrier, how do they keep uh, from going backwards? So with that, Perry, I'm just going to jump right in uh, on that topic uh, because I've heard you say several times that we can't plan a move of God, but we can prepare for it. So explain that concept to our listeners and what they need to know about that. You know, Shane, I learned this lesson in 2002 when in Easter of that year we planned a move of God. Um, kind of like some churches plan revivals, It's it's which always cracks me up because it's like they tell God the week that he can move. We got a revival this week, and I'm like, oh, wow, God knew that. So uh, Easter 2002, we sent out uh, direct mail piece advertising our Easter services and da-da-da-da-da. And we were planning on 1,000 people, and we prayed and begged God for 1,000 people and did all the things you're supposed to do, and 574 showed up, which was the largest crowd we'd ever had, but it's drastically far away from 1,000. And so we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll never hit 1,000 or whatever. And then in August of 2002, we went from 500 to 1,600 in six weeks. Um, and we didn't plan that. Like we we didn't know what we didn't know why they were there. And so it it that's a concept that I've learned um, through my personal experience and through studying the scriptures. And I know I make some of those strategy guys mad. And strategy is important. Um, it has a place, 
but no move of God in the scriptures took place because people spent weeks, months, or and or years developing an intense and unbelievable strategy. It was because um, people were willing to listen to God and do what he said and work with what God had given them. I think one of the reasons that um, a lot of churches don't break through the next barrier is because they're not good stewards of the resources and the people that God has given them in the first place. So because of that, they're not able to experience that, that breakthrough. And so uh, I just always go to the day of Pentecost. Very unplanned. Um, but you go to Acts 1, the apostles were prepared. They had spent three years with Jesus. They had listened to his teaching. They knew what he was about. They did what Jesus told them to do. They prayed until um, they got a sign from heaven, which, you know, tongues of fire sign from heaven. That's, I mean, that was pretty good. So I would, I would just say um, I'm not anti-strategy, but there's a reason that um, every move of God has, has never been strategized. It's just been spirit-led. And, so, and I, I know the argument, well, can the spirit lead to strategy? Yeah, but um, I, once again, God, you just don't see that in the Scriptures a lot. Um, but strategy does have its place. So what you're saying is the key uh, to being prepared is hearing the voice of God and being willing to do what he says. Yeah, which is such a weird concept for people. Like, I tell people that, and they just look at me like I'm smoking crack, and I'm like, hey, you read your Bible. That's that's all they did in the Bibles. They listened to God, did what he said. Moses listened to God, did what he said. Jesus said, I do what the Father tells me to do. Anyway, that's really that's cool. It's good advice. It's amazing that people in ministry uh, have a hard time with that one. But moving on, uh, practical question. Based on your experience, what are the hardest barriers when it comes to church attendance to break? I've heard you mention, say, going from 200 or getting past the 500 mark. What, which uh, ones would you want to mention now and talk about what makes them difficult? You know what? I'm so anti-mentioning barriers now, because, and here's, here's why. Um, two questions. If you're wanting to break through an attendance barrier, you've got to ask yourself why. You've got to do a serious heart check and gut check and figure out, why do I want 2,000 people coming? Why do I want 5,000 people coming? Because in many cases, it's so I can feel more important. There's so many pastors and ministers that have approval of man issues fear of man issues, they have daddy issues, they're still trying to work through those, and they're trying to work through those in ministry, which is very dangerous. And so if you're wanting to break through a barrier, you better do a heart check and a mind check and figure out why is it that I want to break through that barrier? Because now everybody says, well, it's because I want more people to come to Christ. Okay, is it? Because if it is, that's awesome. If it's not... Um, I mean, you got to do a serious, serious gut check right there. Um, the barriers that are listed, you know, we got 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000. You know, I, we, we've said, all right, we want to break through barriers, but I, this, is, this is what I would say. The best way to break through attendance barriers is to every week, I mean, consistently every week, do a service that honors God with excellence that your people in your church would want to bring their lost friends to. Um, if you, you know what? If you have five special Sundays a year, guess what? They're going to invite their friends five special Sundays a year. 
If you have 10 special Sundays a year, then they're going to invite their friends 10 special Sundays a year. Here at New Spring, we have 52 special Sundays a year. I mean, we tell our people, don't even call this week and ask, is it a good week to bring a lost person? The answer is always yes, because every week, and what what people in church learn is, you know what? This church is serious about church 52 weeks a year. Um, That's the best way to break through barriers. It's not, um, I mean, because so many churches have broken through these barriers in so many ways. Um, And so I I think that's the wrong question. The real question is, are you doing something every week that people in your church would want to actually bring people to every week? Because that's the best way to break through those barriers. So what you're saying is, uh, you mentioned this earlier, simply being a good steward over what you have now. Yeah, and it's not a formula. It's not a formula. There's not a formula to break through these barriers. I can't tell you preach out of the you know the gospel of mark and do this series and, and and what's funny shane is if i did that or rick warren did that or andy stanley did that or james mcdonald did that and said this is the formula there are people out there that would that, that would go do it rather than listen to god and and do what he says so i would say the first thing you got to do when you want to break through barriers is do a serious heart check and, and the second thing is, man, consistently every week put on um, a great church service. Would you say that it's – when you're facing uh, – let's say church attendance uh, had been – you say you're doing those things. You feel every week you're being a good steward over the resources you have. You have a, a good service. And for whatever reason, you're at 495, 496, 402, and it's week after week – uh, is it possible that there's some leadership or some structure or some communication changes that need to take place to help a church get past that barrier? Yeah, well, first of all, you, you, what I've learned, and I've learned this the hard way in the past 11 years here at New Spring, is you need to celebrate those seasons of um, harvest, but you also need to celebrate those seasons of preparation for the harvest. And so if you're at a barrier and you're stuck, and you can't break through 500, that might not be God's um, disapproval of you. It might be God's mercy on your church, giving you time to expand the infrastructure, to raise up some more leaders, to get the right staff in place, to change some things around. So when when a church leader hits an attendance barrier, their first question sometimes shouldn't be, all right, do I need to break, you know, what I need to do to break through this barrier? It's, okay, we've obviously slowed down. The Lord wants this church to grow more than I do. And so what is it that we need to do to expand the infrastructure? The, the, the um, illustration I use sometimes in the coaching network is if you have a table and you start pouring Skittles on that table, Um, Sooner or later, Skittles will no longer fit on the table. They all start falling off on the floor. So what you have to do is stop pouring Skittles and make the table bigger. Mm -hmm. That way you can pour more Skittles on. So what happens during those times, uh, I call them seasons of preparation, you got to get the table bigger. You got to you got to get the leaders developed. You got to get the staff. You got to get everybody prepared. So when the movement of God happens, um, you, you don't have Skittles falling off the table. When you look back to that uh, fall of August, I'm sorry, the fall of 2002, when you went that six-week period from 500 to 1,600, mm-hmm. what are some things you did knowingly or unknowingly to, pr- to grow the table, so to speak, to be ready for that? Well, you know, we had been really preparing for it all that year. We had just moved into an 1,100-seat facility, and so in January 2002, we were preparing for it. We, 
we were getting ready. I felt like we took some major steps to prepare for it when we were expecting a thousand people, um, and a thousand people didn't show up. Um, and we were already ready for it. So we already had leaders in place and we had plenty of time to work that out. And then right before, um, that big explosion happened, literally, um, in July, we took a leadership retreat where we decided to hire two full-time staff members and one part-time staff member, because we felt like, all right, we feel we anticipate some growth is coming. These are, um, after a lot of prayer through a bunch of godly leaders, we said, these are the positions we feel like we need to hire. Um, and we didn't hire him because we had the money and we, cause you don't ever just have the money. Um, we didn't hire him because we, you know, whatever we, it was a step of faith. It was a stretch. We had never hired that many staff people at one time, but we did that about, uh, it was about two, two or three weeks before this big explosion took place. And so we made that move before, not after we got them in place. And so literally when that big explosion took place, it wasn't like we were running around with chickens with our heads cut off. Well, we were in some cases, but for the most part, we had the staff ready for that. And so that's just something God had kind of moved us to do that we did. Again, listening to the Lord and doing what he said. Yes. Even if it didn't make fiscal sense well, at the time. Well, if, if, if God's will makes sense on a consistent basis, you're not doing God's will. There you go. When in the scripture did, did it ever make sense? Didn't, never. When, okay, you want, me, you want me to do what? Go through the sea? So you want me to walk through the sea? You want me to go kill the giant? You want me to do what? You got me? It, just, it never made sense. So, um, Let's talk about another time. That was obviously a time of, um, of harvest. Uh, share with our listeners a uh, time that you recall, uh, maybe even an extended time of what you'd call preparation. Yeah. 2005 was um, pretty tough. Uh, it was our last year, full year in our rented facility. We only had one site at the time, and we couldn't grow. Like, we, we had four services. We were out of parking. We were out of children's space. We were out of we We literally could not grow. If you wanted to come to our church, you had to, it was a pain. It was a pain in the butt to show up. You had to show up early. You had to stay late. I mean, it was kids, there's lines. It was, it was really tough. Um, and we had some people just stick with us through that. You know, we would explain, hey, listen, we know it's hard to come to our church, and we would kind of walk through that and explain that. But um, at the end of the day, man, I'm so thankful for that. The other season I think about is the fall of 2007, where we expected this unbelievable wave of growth and it didn't happen. It, it just did not happen. I mean, we had some great Sundays, um, and it was there that the Lord taught me, you know what? You guys need to do a consistent, excellent church service week after week after week, and when you're ready for the harvest, I'll send it. Hmm. You know, I think one of the, one of the problems, um, one of the fallacies that I bought into early on is that we create the harvest. And, and all through the scripture, you know, God talks about sowing and reaping. Now, what farmer on the planet goes, I, I think I'm going to go create some tomatoes? Like, th- there's not a farmer on the planet that can cre- create tomatoes. There's not a farmer on the planet that cre- can create cucumbers or squash. He can plant the seed. He can be a good steward of it. He can water the seed. He can make sure the weeds aren't in the garden. But at the end of the day... God is the one responsible for that harvest. That metaphor is all through the scriptures. So you bring that into the church, and there are actually church leaders out there that think you can strategically create a harvest. Now, I can strategically create a crowd, Mm -hmm. but I cannot strategically create a harvest. 
The harvest is the Lord's, and he's going to send it. Listen, you prepare for it, you honor him, you serve him, and I'm telling you, he will, he will blow your mind. I've just seen it happen time after time. Uh, one thing I want to make clear to those who are listening, you are not uh, a proponent of the let go and let God form the, of leadership. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, like, it, like that is dumb. I've seen T-shirts with that, and, and, and I want to go that you, you are dumb for wearing that shirt. <laughs> are you, are you, can may you be God a little have, bit clearer on that God point? have mercy on your soul. <laughs> so uh, for those who, when they hear you say work, be prepared, be ready, we're talking about hard work. We're talking about thinking. We're talking yeah. about uh, searching Scripture, praying. We're not talking about sitting back, kicking your feet up, and just waiting for God to provide a harvest. What farmer goes, I'm going to let go and let God? What farmer? I mean, once again, it's, it's in the Scriptures. It's a metaphor. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. What farmer just goes out and, and cries and, and sings songs and kumbayas his um, tomatoes all day? You know, I mean, he, doesn't, I'm like, he, he works his butt off. He gets up. He sweats. He works. He labors. And, the, I mean, it, let go and let God is the, is, it's the dumbest thing. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. If you've got that T-shirt, you should burn it. That's a good idea. Praise God. Selah. Uh, <laughs> Selah. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, just like any organization, the church is no exception. For there to be great change, and, and everything we're talking about is being prepared for changes that are going to happen, being prepared for that. Uh, with any organization, especially in a church, uh, change usually starts with a senior leader. Yes, uh, so talk about that. What, what kind of changes have to take place for the senior leader of a church to be ready uh, for these sorts of things to happen? You know, last year at NLC, I spoke about this. Um, NLC is coming this year, September. You should be there. But last year at NLC, I said, before God wants to do a great work through you, he wants to do a great work in you. And that's been our experience here at New Spring. Before our major... Um, times of harvest, there is always it's always coincided with the Lord doing something very specific in my life. And um, if you read the scriptures, God always worked in a leader before he worked. I mean, before there was a major growth explosion in the church. He had to do it in Acts 1 by preparing the apostles. He had to do it in Acts 8 with Peter when he had to go down to Samaria. And Acts 10, he had to show Peter he was a racist before Peter had to went to Cornelius's house. God, God will do. God had to knock the apostle Paul off his horse and blind him. And before he would, went and planted churches, God does a work in the leader. And so, I would say, if um, one one of the most dangerous things, Shane, um, that I see in the church today is I will talk to leaders, senior pastors, church leaders, whatever, and I'll ask them about their personal time with God. And they get very fidgety, and they start talking to me about, well, you know, da-da-da-da-da, or, yeah, I prepare sermons. And I'm like, listen, bro, your sermon preparation time is not your personal time. Um, you, you can't give people what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, one of the problems is, uh, one, I think one of the reasons a lot of people look at me weird when I say leadership is as easy as listening to God and do what he says is they're not listening to God. Um, they spend, and I said this at Catalyst, they spend more time on Facebook than they do on their face before a holy God. They will take a Twitter poll um, before they'll listen to the Holy Spirit. They will read blogs before they read their Bibles. 
And I would say that's a problem. I would say that's a major problem. And so God's going to do something in the leader. And so when you feel God refining you and taking you through the fire, it's because he's getting ready to refine your church and take it through the fire. When you feel God stretching you, he's about to stretch your church. When you feel God growing you, he's about to grow your church. When, he, when you feel God humbling you, he's about to humble your church. It's, it just coincides. So uh, when you feel change happening or sense it happening in you, is it important that just you change or does other people in the organization or does everybody have to be no, ready no. to change? Um, and you've been in those staff meetings before, Shane. When I feel God changing something in me, um, I always talk to the senior leaders about it first and then we'll talk to staff and then we'll, you know, then we'll begin to announce it to volunteers and stuff like that. But um, I, I'm always very quick to very openly talk about that change and have um, those closest to me begin to pray through that change with me um, because we, we can see it coming. So how, how would you, how do you, and how would you encourage somebody to lead through a change like that? One of the mistakes I made um, the first decade is I led very impatiently through change. Because let's say um, God begins doing a work in me. And let's say, um, God, man, six months. Let's say God just absolutely changes, refines, does some unbelievable stuff in me over a six-month period. And after about a six-month period, I'm like, okay, we, we got to change some stuff. And so I walk in to a senior leadership team meeting, and I go, well, guys, we got to change some stuff. And I begin to announce the change, and you guys would have questions, or you would look at me confused, or and you, I would see that you guys weren't excited about it. And the mistake I made is not realizing that I'd had six months to pray about, think about, meditate on, read scripture about this change, and you guys were just hearing it for the first time. And so you guys can't get as excited as I am because you guys haven't had time to process through it. And so one of the major mistakes I made was I would get really PO'd when people started asking questions, when people started having a little pushback. And I'd be like, well, these people just don't love Jesus as much as I do or whatever. And then I finally realized, you know what? If I'm going to be an excellent leader, people don't want to be driven. They want to be led. Mm -hmm. Huge difference. People do not want to be driven. They want to be led. That was so good that I said it twice. You need to write that down. And I'm writing that down right you, now. You are. I see that. Um, I, anyway, so w one of the things I discovered, and Shane, I learned this the hard way because I did it wrong is when you announce change when you announce change is coming or when you announce you feel like change is coming um, you need to do it to a smaller group you need to do it with your senior leadership team or, or, or your elders or your board of directors or however you're structured and people need a chance to ask questions to push back to um, and you cannot expect them to be excited about something that you've known or you've sensed for for much longer than they have and so you've got to allow the process to take place. The same thing is true when you go from the senior leadership team to the, the next level of staff, and when you go to the, all the staff, and then when you go to volunteers. You've, you can't tell people, this is the way it's going to be, and if you don't like it, you suck, get out of here. Because, um, uh, you know, I did that. I've done that before. That just doesn't work. It has to be, this is what we're going to do. Do you have any questions? Because at the end of the day, you want people to be champions of the change and not robots of the change. Yep. Dang, that was good too. You know, I, you really do want people to, but people are not going to be champions of change that they don't understand. 
So let's say. Wow, you, that was a nugget too, man. They're anyway, full. I'm so, glad people can I'm, listen I'm to this over and myself. over again. Uh, let's say you've paced yourself. You've given people a chance to to catch up. Do you ask the questions and push back? Yes. Uh, to lead people and not drive them. Uh, but you that still. Was good. But that was you good right there. But you still have uh, people resistant to change. Yes. What do you do with with folks that just are not willing to change? You give them a let go, let God T-shirt and send them out the door. <laughs> I, seriously, um, some people aren't going to get it. Some people are not going to get it. And once you feel like you've done all you can to explain and answer, one of the biggest mistakes that a leader can make is to assume that everybody's going to go on the journey with him. It's just not going to happen. We lost people when we went from the Sullivan Building, which sat about 100 people, to the Fine Arts Center, which had 1,100 people. We, we lost people. People stopped coming to our church because they couldn't handle the change. When we um, we used to have a separate Sunday morning service and a Sunday morning service and a separate Sunday night service, we stopped our separate Sunday night service, and we lost people because they could not handle that. They couldn't handle the change. When we built the Anderson facility and we were going to have a permanent facility um, and move out of the rented facilities, we lost people. Um, by the way, anytime you do a capital campaign, you're going to lose people. Relax. They'll be back um, after the capital campaign's over. But we lost people because, um, and, and, and they, they say all kind of excuses, and some of those people were my friends. You know, that, that's hard, but they got to ask questions, or, and, they, they, and, and they just leave because some people at the end of the day um, can't handle change, and usually the, the reason why is they have control issues, which control is the biggest delusion in the universe. We, we have no control. But um, there's just some people that can't handle it. So when a leader feels like they've honestly answered the questions and explained and people still can't handle it, it's, it really is time to say, maybe, maybe you don't need to be here anymore. Yeah. Just lead them to another yeah. destination. You need to release them to become who God wanted them to be. Um, I've heard language. you tell uh, several pastors, even in your coaching network, that their church is one or two changes away from doubling in size. But, yes. But the catch is you can't tell them what that change is. Yes. Uh, Share a little bit of that concept with our listeners. I, see, I think the church has to be changing on a consistent basis because if you go through um, the book of Acts, change was taking place, okay? Um, Acts 1, they've got 120 people. Now, that's a, that's a small church, and everybody knew everybody, and um, Peter uh, probably led a you know a Bible study, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, led the women's ministry, and you know Thomas taught a class for skeptics, and you had all this wonderful stuff going on, and then the church goes from one uh, from 120 to 3,000 in a day, um, and for those who hate the mega church, they can't even get away from Acts two, so <laughs> sucks to be you. Anyway, in Acts two, you've got 3,120 people. Well, that that facilitates change. You had to change. You can't run an organization at 120 or 3,000 like you, you did at 120. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says about 5,000 men were there. So once again, that's about fifteen to 20,000 people. You can't. You, you got to change. Um, and Acts chapter um, uh, 6, uh, when the, the Grecian and the Hebraic Jews were having these, these food problems and food distribution issues, and the apostles came forward and said, you know what, we're not going to do all this. And so they went to the church, and they raised up leaders from within the church, and thus change took place. They were able to do more ministry. And the Bible says in verse 7, 
Um, and so the word of God spread rapidly, and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. When you get preachers getting saved, man, that's incredible. But once again, it's because change. Acts chapter 8, when they go to Samaria, now they have to figure out how to do multi-site church. That's change. Acts chapter 10, when they... Um, when the Gentiles and when the Gentiles started getting saved in Acts chapter ten, then you've got Paul planting churches all over the place. That you you can't do church like you did the, during quote the early days in Jerusalem when we had 120 people and everybody knew everybody. And so, so studying the scriptures, um, I go back. I remember telling some church planters that, and they got mad at me because I wouldn't tell them what that change is. But I can't tell you what the changes are in your church. Here's what I know. God wants your church to grow more than you want it to grow. God loves your church more than you love your church. God already knows what your church needs, way more than you already know what your church needs. So your job is not necessarily to strategically figure out all these unbelievable um, steps you need to take. Your job is to ask God to change you. Your, God is to, your job is to ask God to refine your heart, to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your motives in, as ne if necessary. And as that happens, he's going to lead you to the changes the church needs to make. He's going to lead you there. And I really do believe every church is two or three changes from, from Dublin in size. So some churches, it's as small as you don't ever need to let that person sing again in your church. Nobody's going to come to your church because that person sings and they have a microphone, and it's not pleasing to God. It sounds like cows dying in a hailstorm, and I know that's mean, but the, you might not think it's mean because it might be your wife singing, bro, but everybody else is dying in the church, and we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Others, it might be staff transitions. Others, it might be you got to get the rude greeter with bad breath out of the parking lot. Um, it, but it, it, it takes courage to change and you know that's a lot of leaders lack courage so i just thought this some preachers are answering questions that nobody's asking yep yep you know? nobody is going to show up to your church this sunday with the issue of the dichotomy or trichotomy of the spirit burning on their heart if you're preaching on that um yeah you've missed it you have officially missed the boat they're showing up to church going I think my wife and I might get a divorce. My teenage son's rebelling. I might lose my job. I can't make my I can't make my monthly payments on my house. Um, my brother has a drug problem. I'm addicted to porn, and we're and we're answering questions that nobody's asking. So uh, yeah, that that that's that could be a major change. Uh, well, I think that's about all of our time, Perry. What uh, final thoughts of challenge or encouragement you want to give our listeners in regards to? Breaking barriers or being ready for change. He, I heard this said one time at a conference, and um, I about wanted to explode. I've, I've heard pastors say, sometimes you need to just go in and change things for the sake of changing things. You just need to go in and just switch things up. You just need to go in and start moving people around. You just need to go change things for the sake of changing things. That could be one of the dumbest things. The dumbest is let go, let God. That, that's number two. That's number two on the list. Um, because, once again, Shane, you don't find that in the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. God never goes, I think we're going to change things for the sake of saying, all right, Moses, you're not the leader anymore. You're not the Aaron, Aaron, Miriam, you're the leaders. Moses, you carry the tent. Um, that, that just doesn't happen in the Bible anywhere. And so I think one of the things that we do as leaders so many times is we feel like we've got to manufacture the change. Mm -hmm. Once again, a farmer cannot make a tomato. 
You can't manufacture the change, but you, as God leads you to change, then that's when you change. I, that's what. That's the biggest thing I would say is when we feel the pressure to create change in our church, and we're not trusting God for that change, it's going to go bad. It's going to go really bad. So I would say, listen to God, because He loves your church more than you do. He cares about your church more than you do. Do what He says. Let Him change you and let him change the church and the organization you lead through the change that he is bringing about in you. Because if he's bringing a change about in you, you're already on fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, when you're on fire, um, that, that kind of leader, well, th- they change the world. That's great. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks again, everybody out there, for listening to the Perry Noble uh, Leadership Podcast. We really, we really do appreciate it. Uh, and continue to send us questions at hello at newspring.cc, and we'll get to those as quickly as we can. And if you made it to the end of this podcast, if you will call 864-226-6585 and ask for Carla Temples, if you will call her right now, this is to the first caller, you get a free NLC registration. Whoa. So if you've made it to the end, if you made it to the end, and you can come, you don't get the ticket and sell it on eBay. Don't do that. You're wrong. You you might go to hell for that. I'm just saying, if you made it to the end, you call Carla Temples, 864-226-6585. All she needs is your name, your phone number, your email address, if you have to leave a message, your blood type, and if you like dogs or cats. Uh, that's all she needs. If you will call her right now, and this is to the first person, free NLC registration this year. That's a good deal. And so now any words I use really don't matter because everybody's already pushed stop and it's calling Carla. So with that, we're out. See you all next time.